Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast, pottering around the version of Mangum Reads that happens on Dragonback in a dream. We are three muggles who also probably disturb the clairvoyant vibrations. My name is Sarah. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, BJ and Spencer. How are y'all doing? It's really fun you focus on that detail, because I even marked that in my notes, of where, since I'm on the Kindle version, I get to see other people's highlights and how many other people highlighted things. That paragraph is highlighted like 10,000 times, and I have no idea why. It has no relevance to this chapter at all. It's this weird dream. But apparently the fan base is just obsessing about this paragraph. I am glad you clarified that it was the dream one because I couldn't quite figure out whether you were referring to the uh, Quidditch on Dragonback or Trelawney doing Trelawney things. No, just, just the, the dream Harry has about, you know, confronting Malfoy's dragon and realizing he's not running a fireball. Apparently the fan base just loves that paragraph. I'm just staring at it going... Okay, it's 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 a sentence. What 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 am I missing here? So that that's actually going to be uh, spoiler alert. Uh, some of my uh, wizard wheezes wow. because I'm very very confused. So, okay, you read it on the Kindle version too. So you, there are there are sections in both this chapter and the next chapter that are highlighted that seemingly usually it's because they're witty. Usually it's because they're directly important to what's happening in this chapter or there's some dramatic moment. And then nope, there's this. It's like. Why? I'm gonna what have does to the fan base know here? Turn back to that and see if there is anything uh, <clears throat> spoilery otherwise going on in it. Um, I'm almost positive not. <laughs> I just wonder if there was, if somebody taught, like, had this book as a, you know, ninth grade yeah. English mm. class and there was something interesting in the English or something like that that they wanted to highlight and so all of the kids then have like highlighted versions there maybe the, or at some point like everything's been highlighted and this reached a point where it now shows up on the Kindle version so everybody <laughs> highlights it because people like touching the same place that other people have touched that is certainly true I mean, I, it was also, it was just, I was very much pondering similar theories, but I was also kind of going to ask you, Sarah, my question, but I was asking now, is there like a Harry Potter quote of the day fan base or something? Like this just happened to be one random quote of the day when the books were exceptionally popular and so just everybody marked it? I, know, I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, it, I don't know about that, but I'm, I'm, I am trying to find... <laughs> I am trying to find that place again to see if there is anything going on with it. But... In the meantime, we mm-hmm. do have some segments that we do here. Uh, sometimes out of order, apparently. Sometimes out of I'm trying to get <laughs> us back on the track. <laughs> we get too excited. Um, I feel like, the, now I feel like Madam Pence trying to get everyone to shut up in the library. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> it has not worked thus far. But hmm. we do have a rapid fire recap that we do uh, that has some convoluted rules attached to it these days. We have mm-hmm. BJ's Wizard Wheezes. Uh, which we have gotten a preview of. We have newbies notes from Spencer and increasingly from BJ as well. We have house points that we award, and then there are questions. All right. So so with the new rules, I get to set some amount of time that I think uh, you can summarize this chapter in. Yes. Um, you make some sort of bet as to whether or not that'll actually happen, what you think your time is, and... Um, all sorts of things that Spencer just finagles out of the air, like mm. a Patronus that may or may not have completely formed. Mm-hmm. Um, for this chapter, since pretty much all of it is really bad po- sports casting, I'm going to say a minute 45. Okay. All right. I am, go- am going to make a bet on how long this is going to take me. I'm going to try to get it under a minute 45 because that is how the game is played. Um, <laughs> but my guess is actually going to be a minute 46. Okay. So you got, you've got you've got a range around that to make it work. Yes, that might be the most Ravenclaw thing that you've ever done. <laughs> she is hedging her bets here. So I get uh, plus or minus three seconds, right, you, to have you made that bet. Oh my god, I don't. I did these notes this morning, and I don't know what's going on in them. But we will, we will try. 
Sarah, I'm going to remind you at any point that this is a voluntary exercise that you can just choose to stop participating with at any time. I know, I've done this to myself. <laughs> if given, this, this is your personality. You've been given a challenge and you're pissed off about it, but you're going to beat the damn thing. The Raven Club brand. It, it's, it's going strong. It is, yes, it is strong in this one. Okay. Spencer, are you ready? <laughs> the giant novelty stopwatch is ready to go and thoroughly amused. At your pleasure. <laughs> Wait, it's getting more human-like characteristics as we go on. It, it, it is gaining animation as a result of your rage. Well, this is also a very sort of Hogwarts thing to be happening. Yes. <laughs> so in a tear-stained note, Hagrid tells them that Buckbeak has lost his hearing and is set to be executed. Ron has promised to help with the appeal and Hermione is ecstatic. But Hagrid is explaining uh, is just explaining why he believes the committee is against him when Malfoy catches sight of him, opens his big mouth, and earns a smack and a threat from Hermione, who has therefore won the undying approval of Harry and Ron. But by the time they get to charms for, to learn cheering charms, Hermione isn't there and doesn't show up the whole class. They eventually find her passed out over an arithmancy book, and she's distraught at having missed the lesson. But cagey on how it happened. In Divination, they're starting crystal balls and Hermione is not having any of Trelawney's nonsense. In fact, Trelawney suggests that Hermione's mind is hopelessly mundane and Hermione quits the class, thus fulfilling Trelawney's, quote, prophecy that someone would leave them forever at Easter. But hey-ho, the Quidditch final is drawing nearer. Over the holiday, Ron takes uh, takes over Buckbeak's appeal, Hermione works around the clock, and Harry tries to survive Quidditch practice. Wood is trying to drill into his head that he must not catch the snitch until they're over 40 po- I'm sorry, 50 points ahead. Given that the final is Gryffindor versus Slytherin, tensions are high and Harry gets a sort of honor guard around him at all times. After a very restless night, Harry starts out, um, or stares out over the grounds to see Crookshanks having a confab with a giant shaggy black dog. Ron does not care at that hour. Back to the Quidditch pitch, and Wood is too emotional to even give a pep talk. It is a very dirty game, as Lee Jordan is quick to point out. Heads are seized, chasers are crashed into, Wood is attacked, and when Harry and Malfoy uh, catch sight of the snitch, Malfoy just decides to grab Harry's broom. Finally, after Harry clears the way as a human bowling ball, Gryffindor is up enough, but Malfoy's already after the snitch. Harry makes a beeline, beats him to it, and Gryffindor have won the house cup. Uh, you did it. You did it. Ten <laughs> points for you. You did it. I did within it? One second. You, not only did you get within the goal, you made it within one second. Uh, you, made, you made it just within your bet. One second. Bravo. That is so exciting. <laughs> Ten points for you. You're not only back on the board, you're on the board in style. Oh, thank you. All right. I, today is a good day, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well done, sir. Every Ravenclaw thing in me is happy in this moment. So it was, it was entirely because you had that one brief moment where you said, sorry, you got the extra second you needed. <laughs> otherwise, you would have been too low. Oh, no. So I was right at like 143, 144? Yes. yes. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, beat that with a stick, BJ. <laughs> what are you wheezing about? Um, well, I have a number of things. As uh, we sort of previewed at the beginning of, of the episode, uh, the highlighting and what ends up being in the everybody is highlighted for in the Kindle is interesting. It's um, so weird. Do, do. I have it if you would like. Uh, yes. Okay, please. I don't. But I, I'm going to need you to tell me exactly where it ends. So then he dreamed that Malfoy and the rest of the Slytherin team arrived for the match riding dragons. He was flying at breakneck speed, trying to avoid a spurt of flames from Malfoy's steed's mouth when he realized he had forgotten his firebolt. He fell through the air and woke with a start. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's essentially it. And amusingly, it seems to start with when. Um, <laughs> and so my sort of theory is that maybe the double possessive of Malfoy's steed's mouth was a an English teachers like we should look at this and yeah. you know it's a weird thing um but sort of everything else about it maybe it's like he fell through the air and woke with a start is people like oh when dreams you fall and wake up and that's super normal i i there's got to be yeah, something because i was confused when you for when you both first brought this up um i assumed that it would also encompass the first sentence of the next paragraph which is, um, mm-hmm. it was a few seconds before Harry remembered that the match hadn't taken place yet, that he was safe in bed, and that the Slytherin team definitely wouldn't be allowed to play on dragons. And, like, that is a very Harry Potter sentence, and also quite funny. Um, so it would make sense if that mm-hmm. were inc- included in it, but it sounds like it's not. No. Yeah. No, it, no it, that's it, not it. <laughs> it, it is half a sentence and then a sentence. I mean... I almost just wonder if this is some kind of elaborate internet prank of where a thousand people online highlighted this and now everyone since has been highlighting it so they could ask questions of their friends about why it's highlighted. 
which worked on me. It's totally highlighted in my book. You now. are the problem, Spencer. <laughs> in so many ways. Um, and it's not even a spot where the English differs from the American version. Yeah. Which I could also see being in somewhat random spots. Yeah, but there would be nothing to differentiate that here. Exactly. It's a real mystery. Um, mm-hmm. as, as we're wont to have. Um, so I have another uh, wheeze about the authorship, or the narration, sorry, um, of how this goes on, where we have uh, never in anyone's memory had a match approached in s- such a highly charged atmosphere, which just seems like a very odd way to go about <laughs> things when we have a third-person semi-omniscient narrator. Um because, I mean, maybe Dumbledore just doesn't remember anything, and so uh, we've had a lot of memory charms, and so ever since last year, when there was a highly anticipated Quidditch match, no one remembers anything, so it doesn't matter. There's, I mean, there's a lot of explanations. I'm going to go with protagonist-centered reality. That wh- How the world works is entirely built around what effect their actions have upon it. I like to believe that the actual Hogwarts castle is doing the narration of this whole story. Oh, that'd be adorable. Okay, yeah, new fa- new favorite theory. <laughs> this is all being narrated by Hogwarts just watching, baffled at its own students. I don't know how it's getting chapters at the Dursleys' house, but um, maybe there's a painting that goes between the two. Or the castle moves and uh, howls yes. a little bit. Also possible. Oh, okay, that works too. <laughs> although I think someone would notice it turning up in Surrey, although to be fair, it is supposed to be invisible to muggles, so... <laughs> And with, um, with, with the love of odd words, is there an off theory that Sir Cadigan's actually writing this down now that he's bored, now that he's been removed from his position? Oh my god, that would be incredible. No, I don't want to read that, I, actually. That lo- I, don't, I don't think I need that in my life. <laughs> it I mean, be it'd be the adventure. weirdest Man of La Mancha-esque. Yeah. Very oh, anxiety-producing, yeah. though. Like, I don't... <laughs> actually, that would be a very entertaining um, interpretation of the magic. So rather that, like, it's basically this... Uh, knight that's been cooped up in a painting for <laughs> hundreds of years and his fantastical imagination overlaying on a very normal uh, English school and to try and keep it interesting rather than, well, these... Oh, I kind of like This that. group picks on this group. I mean, isn't Harry Potter enough already a descent into madness <laughs> Do we need to add an extra scenario on top of it? Maybe, Yeah. I mean, but that's why it's a descent into madness. Valid point. Um, so the other thing that we get in this chapter, and it thoroughly amuses me, is uh, one of the only ways this uh, passes the Bechdel test is Hermione telling off Professor Trelawney in this chapter. <laughs> well, it is and two I women talking. And I don't think that's a valid pass. It's two women talking, but the start of their conversation is about a boy. But the conversation itself isn't about a boy, and it's just like, well, they're not the only... Anyway, I, I feel like it's a very thin ice way to get through it, but it's close. apparently it's close. this was enough. And it's like, all right, I guess technically, which is the best kind of correct, but... Uh. It does also follow up into another conversation, which we passed back to the test, at the end of theirs, when one of her two loyal followers, I can't remember which one, uh, whether it's Parvati or Lavender... Lavender yeah. Uh, you know, speaks up to say, "Oh, your prophecy, your prophecy was right, Professor. Your prophecy was right." Mm-hmm. Yes, that qualifies. Yeah, <laughs> it's two big uh, characters, but you know, <laughs> sure. <laughs> the purpose of the Bechdel test is not that this is great; it's that this is tolerable, and I feel like people lose track of that. Yes. Um, so we also have at least one entertaining word, which seems to be on the steep decline as we get into the later chapters. Um, and uh, we actually have a little bit of wordplay with some of the hippogriff uh, books, but I feel like she's just phoning it in for this chapter. Um, but but our entertaining word of the chapter is flippity gibbet. And again, is that actually a word, or is that something that Harry Potter invented? It is actually a word. It appears in Googling a this. couple of other places, technically. Uh, I would also um, like to point out that at one point when I was actually teaching and needed course websites um, and had to differentiate between the course re- websites of my different classes, I did in fact name them after strange words, and one of them was Fliberty Gibbet. Which, which <laughs> course was Fliberty Gibbet? It was one of my... Was it a fiendishly hard one? <laughs> uh, well, you'd have to ask my students about that, I suppose. <laughs> Um, but to my mind, it was probably a pretty standard introductory English class. There we go. 
my memory of was it UNC? Uh, a lot of colleges that seems to be where a lot of first first year failures end up happening. Well, <laughs> um, we won't say how you wielded your house point uh, wand in those. Um, but yeah, Fliberty Gibbet has some weird origins, either coming from an old the old Norse, where we get flippant, or flibberjib, which seems to have come from describing imps or fiends in the late 1500s, early 1600s. So, a fun hmm. little word. Hmm. Um, and, yeah? I was going to define it, because it's new to me. A frivolous, flighty, or excessively talkative person, if Google is accurate. And I've always associated yeah. it and with, like, flappers. Which fits a lot of the negative connotations that were being put on flappers during yeah. that period. Oh my god, yeah. they're out and about, <laughs> and they're not being all demure and non-involved in conversations. Are How dare they? those I see? Oh! <laughs> I need a fainting um, couch rather than her. It's also interesting because in the definition, it's often especially said of a young woman, so uh, I think flighty would be a mm-hmm. newer, similar... Yeah, and that makes sense. Uh, yeah. Um, and then we have just a thoroughly entertaining, I think my favorite Hermione is Angry Hermione. Um, doesn't... Yes. DGAF, uh, and very reminiscent in my mind of a scene from Snatch where, uh, she has a Desert Eagle 5.0 and, uh, Crab and Goyle are shrinking. Yeah, yeah, in so many ways. Um, and with that, good, I'll good turn it over to our newbie for notes. No, I... I, I... I applaud your movie reference before we even get to that. Good choice. Uh, Four notes. This chapter exists at the start to remind us that Lucius Malfoy is just mustache-twirlingly evil. He is the Wicked Witch of the West of this story in the sense that he is going after Hagrid and his little dog, too. (laughs) It is just... There are some Slytherins in this tale that just are so self-consciously evil. They're so aware that they are evil that they seem to glory in it. They seem to find the most petty ways possible to express their evilness in the world. It's like, do you expect your house to be taken seriously, sir? You walk into every room, all black, incredibly pale skin, finding ways to murder cuddly animals. Well, Mm. cuddly animals. (laughs) From Hagrid's perspective... Well, that's not the the perspective one should take for cuddly animals. (laughs) I, I just imagine as a half-giant that uh, Hagrid's skin is like double leather in terms of thickness, mm-hmm. and just like any effort to kill him is just utterly futile. And so he's legitimately confused that these creatures are actually threats to anybody. But it, it's a sad run for Hagrid. The next chapter's going to be even sadder, but this one, the only I think the only appearance he makes is this just tear-stained note of where he's just embodying the British principles of stiff upper lip that he has to notify those that need to know what's going mm-hmm. on and he's somehow able to keep it together enough to send out the letter, but it's still just covered in tears as he goes about the, the necessary duties of British life. It, it's just... Him blubbering is sad enough. Him trying not to blubber, all the sadder. Um, uh, which is also interesting, because uh, his spelling is really good this time around. He was... Again, he is adhering to all standards of decorum that he feels are necessary for one of his station. And that's just sad. Uh... What is not sad is Ron's utter brain shut down when a girl hugs him. When Hermione leaps at him and he has no idea where to put his hands and just stutters his way through the conversation is so me even to this day. It's just, this is what the brain of a person does that's never matured beyond about age 12. I would like to point out, though, that this is going to be like everyone's reaction when quarantine is over and we get to touch people again. Human contact! (laughs) What? I've forgotten what What this is. What do I do with this? It is compounded by the fact that this is the beginning of, like, a run of really funny out-of-character moments that encapsulate mm-hmm. this chapter. Is that Hermione in particular is working off script, and it's great. I mean, we start with, we start with you know, her leaping into Ron's arms, giving him a hug, and immediately apologizing for her prior acts of fault. <laughs> Neither of those have ever happened before. She continues to just slap Malfoy down goes in for a second hit, and before Ron directly intervenes, is pulling out her wand, which I would have loved to see what she intended to do with that. I think she probably would have just hit him with it. <laughs> just smacked him yeah, with Yeah, I think wand. we were beyond the sort of actual magicking at this moment. 
She is in a rage. There is no level of control for the thought process here. This is an additional object for the purpose of your pain. We go from there to Ron volunteering to study and, you know, engage in outside class research and then actually doing it willingly and voluntarily. Like, really committing to the purpose. It's with a full, you know, white knight lens that he's doing it about, oh, you, have, you woman have been able to solve these problems. I, who have had no prior training or any degree of appropriate skill, shall step in and fix this. But even the fact he's willing to put in legwork to do that, rather than just say it's entirely new. We continue from there to Percy jumping up and down like a maniac, McGonagall sobbing and expressing emotion, and we end up with, well, actually, I think this happens before, but I need to end on this point, we have a dog and a cat functioning together and meeting in the middle of the night, a Grimm and Crookshanks, two characters that seem to exist to murder things around them, also embodying creatures that exist to murder each other in all classical lore, meeting to seemingly have a polite conversation that Harry can't step in on. It's just a... I have so many questions It's just about on their it. evening constitutional, Spencer, I don't know. Uh, and now that I know that that's a thing, <laughs> I think this story just exists in mass hysteria. <laughs> I, it is... The other side of it is, so we have... So there's some self-aware issues, and then there's some non-self-aware issues. I think, like, Hermione is somewhat aware of her uh, breakdown of character. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I even forgot the most out-of-character Hermione moment. When she confronts Trelawney, tells her off, says her, her, her chosen um, <laughs> area of magic is stupid, and then walks out of the room with two middle fingers in the air, essentially. <laughs> It was a it was a Hermione? delightful mic drop moment. It, yes. it, it was well, great. The entire I was going to say there was probably two different fingers, but <laughs> I agree on the yes. sentiment. Um, She's probably doing we, the British V as she walks down the room. Yes, mm-hmm. we also have a very funny uh, Hermione Ron interaction, which makes absolutely no sense and sort of tells you how out of whack everything is. Which is Ron says, "I'm going to be doing research," and Hermione says. That'll help. Thank you. <laughs> Again, Hermione's tired. She's off her game. We see a lot of scenes of her just at the end of her rope and what she's committed to. This is a further example of this, that she just yada yada the idea of Ron saving the day with studying. Yeah. And, and like, it's just sort of an interesting way to have approached all of this, um, especially from a writing perspective. It's It's either a very good grasp of... Ron is a character having no idea what's going on with the things that he can do, which just doesn't seem right in terms of like him deciding to do more research to try and help Hagrid, as opposed to helping Hagrid be less mm-hmm. Hagridy and try and actually like be functional for the appeal. Uh, but we should not get too far into that because I probably could do my own podcast <laughs> on uh, chapter by chapter. Well, mm, I don't know how I, I would have done this differently. <laughs> We have discussed before that it is somewhat in character that none of our none of our main protagonists seem to have a full, conscious, constant thought of what skills and tools they have. And there's a lot of situations of where if they better wielded those, this scenario would have gone down better. Like, Harry just throwing gold coins at people could have solved a lot of what's going on in this story. <laughs> he has those. He has the means. And- Ron making use of the fact his dad is apparently a very senior government agent. Who seems to have, as we will we will get more evidence of this later, but while his position is not respected, he seems to have a lot of sway with people. Yeah. He, he, it, his power is not on the face of things, but behind the scenes, it's almost limitless. Mm-hmm. There doesn't seem to be he's, like a clear cap on what he can do. Mm-hmm. He's like the one middle manager. And so <laughs> he has like all of the power, a bunch of the responsibility, and no one cares about it. <laughs> We're going to talk about an example of that next chapter, where I feel like there are nowhere near enough government officials to be running this world, <laughs> given their <laughs> active involvement in the little minutiae of shit. <laughs> but yeah, the, I, there seems to be a lot that they could do if they just thought this out better. Like, hell, Hermione, don't coach Hagrid. Just do the oral argument. Why does Hagrid need to be doing this? It's not like you need... Man, if, th- if this legal system is built around, let's have a crying family member be your sole advocate in any situation. <laughs> there's other legal problems with this world. But, um, shall we turn it over to House Points? Well, no, I've got lots of questions. <laughs> okay. We, we've, we've barely gotten ten pages into this. Uh, Cheering Charms is the most delightfully insidious spell we've yet encountered in the Wizarding World. This is the thing that dictatorships are built on. <laughs> that you can just cast a spell and people are happy. 
and they're legitimately happy. It's not like, you know, some rigor mortis of the smile kind of thing. They're just in a great mood thereafter. And this is a spell that just low-level students can cast? This is a scary world. We need to find out about more defensive charms that exist, because there's a lot you can do to manipulate other people around you that they're just kind of winking and smiling at as this being totally normal. Yeah, I like a discussion of the kind of normal everyday charms and how <laughs> actual batshit crazy they are, as opposed to mm-hmm. like the stuff they're supposed to be learning to defend themselves against. Like, I think you're absolutely right, Spencer. The idea of a cheering charm is uh, much more frightening than a hinky punk. I feel like people would also just try to view this as a good thing, like just use this as the wizarding equivalent of Prozac, or the, oh, are you feeling down? Cheering charm. <laughs> there, all the problems solved. It's like, wow, that did not fix the problem. It also sort of insinuates that we are teaching 13-year-olds um, pharmacology. <laughs> Again, would not put it past them. No, They're not yeah. learning basic math and reading comprehension. Why not just skip to pharmacy Fair. school? Let's see how that goes. Uh this chapter continues to delay Hermione revealing her secret, which they've now taunted us with this, like, nine chapters in a row. Maybe even more, I've lost track how long they've just been pointing out, not without any degree of opaqueness, that, haha, there is a secret and it's not being told to you. That's All in good time, Spencer. All in good time. Uh, I'm not a patient person. <laughs> you all know this about me, and this is playing with me way too much. Well, as indicated by the chapter title, Hermione's Secret, It Is Coming. You guys have told me long since not to read chapter no. titles or <laughs> the internet or form blog. I've really divorced myself from a lot of the world as a result of trying to go through these books <laughs> and avoid spoilers. It's hard. Which is kind of funny because, like, the chapters are just listed at the front <laughs> of the book. And so... Very easy for you to just... But don't do that, please. No, as we see at the beginning of the next chapter, even the chapter images are spoilers. The, these books are built around spoiling my fun. <laughs> well, uh, I, I wonder if it's not just like a, you might have forgotten what's been going on, so I'm going to give you every benefit that you no. possibly could. I, I understand the chosen, the actual target audience of this may benefit from that to a certain degree. But the target audience at this point is like 13 or 14. I had object permanence at that age. I was capable of remembering something you didn't have to remind me of every single chapter. Fair enough. But apparently people that lack object permanence, professors in this world. In the sense that Harry, apparently, somehow dodged a snake punishment by being walked out of the room before the punishment was completed. It's like, do punishments in the Wizarding World professors only work to the degree you're able to complete the punishment before they walk out of your view? I mean, they're very definitely... T-Rexes. Like, there's nothing in in the text of the book that doesn't say that professors, as soon as they, like, employ the job, they become a T-Rex, and so if you don't move or they don't see you, they don't know that I you're I like there. the idea now of McGonagall turning not from a human into a cat, but from a T-Rex into a cat. <laughs> okay. So I'm able to work with this. All the physical descriptions are just of their, what's the word? Anim- animatus? What? I'm losing track of that spell that's turned into animagi. Oh, animagi? Thank you. They're all animagi, and that they're actually T-Rexes that have made, made themselves look human. And certain aspects of their, you know, <laughs> character and personality still have to bleed through. Uh, I mean, it makes the uh, image of, of uh, glasses on the end of their nose much more entertaining. <laughs> oh, man, I now have a new favorite theory. I know, and McGonagall uh, walks around in a flannel cap sometimes, which is <laughs> delightful. <laughs> Okay, I mean, if you've, if you've seen dinosaurs... Yes, this is true. Yeah. And uh, give, given the breadth of the internet, I have to imagine someone has had this thought before, and I'm going to Google Harry Potter characters as dinosaurs here after this, after we're done. You can't Google anything uh, related to Harry Potter anymore, Spencer. Damn it, all the hell. <laughs> uh, it, it does... It, it possibly explains a lot of the frustration of Snape as a character, is that if he legitimately can't punish people if they are walked away from him before he's done... The, the, ma- the amount of pl- planning that guy has to go into to punish Harry Potter but just be getting very, very long. Because it's not the first time this has happened of where someone shows up and Snape is interrupted and Harry escapes punishment. If, if this continues happening, Snape may just finally snap and murder Harry before this story is done. I would like... I am doing the Googling for you, um, Spencer. You will 
you'll be either very, very excited or very, very disappointed and probably an equal combination of the two once you Google Harry Potter dinosaur. Well, so I am putting in Harry Potter dinosaur, but what um, pops up is Harry Potter dinosaur animagus fiction, fan fiction. Oh. The Dino-Born Wizard, okay. Chapter 1. A Harry Potter and Jurassic you Park have... crossover fanfic. <laughs> oh my god, you have a very different Google uh, than I do. and We're learning about search histories here. Did you... Wait, so you put in Harry Potter Dinosaur and that's I it? I put in Harry Potter Dinosaur and then it um, auto-populated Harry Potter Dinosaur Animagus fanfiction. Okay. So if you just put in Harry Potter Dinosaur... Uh, there is a Harry Potter dinosaur. Oh, well, I will do that in a second, but I have to leave this tab open because now I have to read the Harry Potter Jurassic Park crossover (laughs) fanfic. I I feel like this is just the embodiment of differences between fandoms (laughs) of where, like, the George R. R. Martin Game of Thrones fandom just gets themselves tied into knots thinking of various theories to explain the text and various explanations and various ponderings of where the story will go, probably because the story isn't done yet. The Harry Potter fandom has, from apparently very long since, been mostly content with making the most impressively broad array of fan fiction that has ever existed. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd be surprised if there isn't a reasonable amount of uh, Game of Thrones fan fiction, but it's probably slightly different. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, there is a Harry Potter dinosaur. <laughs> so, Spencer, how do you feel about Pachycephalosaurs? I... Sorry, the five-year-old may be very disappointed, but I do not know what that looks like. Um, we can send it along, but there is apparently a dinosaur called Dracorax Hogwartsia. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're kidding me. Nope. Uh, <laughs> nope. If you Google Harry Potter dinosaur, that is what you get. I will do this later. Uh, continuing the notes, so we can wrap up with this. Uh, the leak attack on fellow students is the most delightfully Welsh thing ever. It does lead me to ponder whether there is a spell that just conjures leaks. Or whether someone just jammed them into other people's ears. Either way, again, British school. Uh, The fact that everyone is just okay with the idea that we need to actively guard Harry in the halls at all times, because otherwise the Slytherins might show up with a tire iron and go full, you know, uh, (laughs) I'm breaking the name, Tanya Harding on him at just any (laughs) given moment is just, it's weird. It is so not my experience of school. But it seems to be the world they operate in is that the idea of telling a professor that, okay, other students wish to inflict bodily harm on another student, maybe you should intervene, never crosses anyone's mind. That permanent Secret Service detail is a much more viable option to them than telling an authority figure of active imminent harm. I mean, this feels, I think you're right, this feels like a very English thing, but I think part of that is that it's like a very boarding school thing. Yeah, that's um, fair. these like very close, weird, intimate relationships and social hierarchies that emerge when you are just stuck with the same group of adolescents all the time. I, I very much agree, and I feel like it'd almost be a thing of where everyone's aware they could go to a professor, but it would be deemed poor yes. form. It would it it would be deemed a breaching of the rules of gentlemanly conduct for the course of the <laughs> game in a way that is entirely unacceptable. Um, let's see here. There's a couple things in this chapter that lead me to believe that uh, J.K. Rowling herself doesn't have that firm of grasp of the Quidditch rules yet. (laughs) (laughs) You don't say. Who's among us, Spencer? (laughs) (laughs) It's just the fact that the uh, Slytherin team is able to just last second change out their entire lineup for a collection of Brutes and Malfoy is weird. You think that that wouldn't be allowed, that you could just at whim change who's on your team, given that it's meant to be seven fixed people the entire year. So, okay, already that's odd. The fact that I'm pretty sure, and Sarah, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the first time we've ever seen penalties in a Quidditch match before? I, I believe so, yes. <laughs> Which, either there's a suggestion that this is just the most violent game ever, or that she just now thought that maybe penalties would probably be a reasonable thing to add to the game. Though... The fact that Hooch freaks out so damn much, and again, I'm just so amused that the name of this character is Hooch. I'm never going to not be amused at that. Uh, is freaking out, barely able to control herself over these penalties is just great. This is the any usual rules of decorum have just gone out the window for this blood sport match that they're in. I, McGonagall is even seen shaking her finger at some point, which is apparently not <laughs> that done. That is the height of <laughs> yes. outrage. A physical expression of emotion from Stuffy McGonagall, the world is ending. Especially if she's a T-Rex. Uh, 
It's such a tiny little finger to shake. Uh, BJ, you offered a house theory before that I'm going to just accept to explain some of this, that I'm guessing there's some kind of inertia dampeners that are just inactive. Or they're just kind of turned on whenever you hop onto a broom. Because otherwise, two people at breakneck speed just ramming into each other, ramming, ramming into each other on brooms, they die. If two, you know, football players hit each other at breakneck speed, they're injured in a way they may not have a season afterwards. If two students wearing, I'm assuming, are just wool robes, hit each other at car-like speeds, they are dead. That's how physics works. I'm so, pretty sure the robes are velour. So they're fine. That's yeah. that's the difference. That makes More the fishy. difference. <laughs> um, I, I'm pretty sure the understanding of anatomy and physiology that that comes to bear on these books is not one that that takes into account uh reality and so it doesn't really matter i know i know every now and then i just have to recite the mystery science theater maxim just it's fine the this is a book in its own world in any fantasy setting setting physics are selective otherwise they all would have physics and chemistry are selective otherwise they all would have made gunpowder <laughs> rather than having a thousand year medieval era or whatever else it's fine well there is a great great series of videos that that everybody should watch if they are related to uh the harry potter universe in any way where uh guns are substituted in place of wands at different points and there's also a little bit of fan fiction where uh harry potter gets a 1911 rather than a wand and it's the best and did charlton heston live long enough to see that fan fiction version of this text (laughs) Uh, final thing, it really does appear that in Quidditch, Harry has one winning move. Mm. The kind of jump off or dive off or be barely holding on to leaping off your broom kind of thing. Correct me if I'm wrong, but he's done this in like three or four separate matches. Any match that he's won, he has won by this means. And it continues. I don't think that there's any other way to get the snitch other than to do this. It's a, such an all-or-nothing move, though. I'm, I'm waiting for one book of where Harry leaps and just totally misses and just falls. Because you, you don't really have a fallback plan on a broom. You're in the air, you're going at like 40 <laughs> miles an hour. If you miss, you don't get to reset. There is no... So, I'm guessing there's not a lanyard on your broom that disconnects it to you. Well, and So is that a snitch snap snap though? <laughs> in a way I shall never express, sure. Um, I will say that the very first Quidditch match that Harry played, while it was not dissimilar from what you were describing, he did, instead of catching it, almost swallow it. This is true. This is true. It is playing out with mild, uh, you know, differences between Slight variations. But it falls in the same category. I just wanted to make sure that we were entirely correct in (laughs) the knowledge we're putting out in the world. I will accept that, just as I will accept your decision as to who are winners and losers of this chapter. Yes. So, I think, you know, we gave the loser of the chapter last chapter was Hagrid in sort of anticipation of what was coming in this note. But, as you pointed out, we have not physically seen Hagrid in this chapter. And so, while he is having a very bad day, um, and one might assume that he is going to continue having that bad day in the next chapter... um, it's all done off screen. So I think if I am going to think about who has had the worst day of all of the possible people, uh, Malfoy has had a pretty annoying day. Let's go. <laughs> it, it has been irritating. He is unsuccessful in being terrible to other people, and therefore he it's is the loser. It's bad for yeah. him, yes. Um, he has... It, it's oh, like, go ahead, Spencer. It's like, you know, I agree. Hagrid had a very bad day, but it's off screen. But Hagrid had a bad day for anyone. Yes. Malfoy mm-hmm. had a particularly bad day for Malfoy. Yes, he yeah. he has had a bad day in particularly Malfoy ways. Um, Harry did not get punished in the way he thought he was supposed to. Um, he got not only smacked, but embarrassed by Hermione. Um, mm-hmm. He has not been able to adequately, I suppose, penetrate Harry's honor guard in the lead up to this match. And mm-hmm. he has, in fact, lost this match. And therefore lost the Quidditch Cup for the year. So I'm not great. Yeah, and it's really on him, too. This match really highlights that Malfoy is only on this team due to nepotism. It's not like he has any particular yes. skill. Harry is just flying circles around him. Harry is able to win any time and is delaying do so because they need that thick 60-point margin. 
So is it really nepotism? Or is it more just like he's a rich snot? Okay, Sarah, remind, remind me of this. Did, did not his dad buy the current brooms the team is using? He did, yes. And with a sort of implication that the only reason Draco got the spot as Seeker? Yep. Okay, is because daddy chipped in a lot of cash to the team. That is correct, yes. So I thought it was that, like, to help the team win rather than. Well, he wasn't him on being the team. Seeker, but yeah. He, he wasn't on the team before yeah. that. Right. He, he, it could also, again, fitting into the fact that these books are oh so very British, it could just be the fact that he has enough parentage that he just gets the position if he asks for it. That might, that is unclear. Yeah, so I yeah. guess that is kind of nepotistic, yeah. It, it fall, it, it's a uniquely aristocratic style of nepotism. They, they wouldn't mm-hmm. view it as nepotism. It's that they're entitled. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and if there's one word that very well describes Malfoy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so as far as winner of, of the chapter goes, I mean, I think we have to give it to Harry, right? Yeah. In, in a way that just scares me for the next chapters to come. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, like, I can't remember, but I get this feeling that when Harry has a good day, Malfoy has a bad day, and vice uh-huh. versa, and they seem to go in pairs, and I am hoping that will change as the books goes on, as the books go on. Because it's kind of like a... Malfoy's a little yeah. shit, but he's not, like, the bad... He's uh, not the, he's not the arc villain. No. Yeah. Um, that will, will change a little bit. Malfoy, and I won't, I won't say anything more about this, but I do think it's, it's kind of an interesting thing to know is coming at this point. Um, Malfoy has his Mm -hmm. own particular story arc that is in the works. Really? Actually, I'm kind of reassured to see that. There, hmm. I mean, he he has all the hallmarks of what could be a two-bit character that just very much exists to be an antagonist and has nothing else about him. But... It would be interesting to see behind the curtain a little bit when it comes to him. He's kind of been pigeonholed in his role in life by who he's been born into and what his family stands for. And there's a certain element of tragedy about that. Yeah, you, that's interesting, so I'll be curious to see how yeah, that plays we get some more. we get some more insight on him, whether or not it ever makes you sympathetic or that would brings, some work. <laughs> brings him <laughs> some sort of redemption, we can talk about later, but <laughs> we do learn more. Yeah, a, a big note for Harry, uh, too, because this one really resonates with me. A big win for him is that his friends have made up. They've forgiven each other. They're interacting with each other. They're being friends again. Because growing up at, through even relatively recent life, there is almost nothing harder in a friendship than having to deal with two friends that for some reason hate each other or for some reason mm-hmm. are fighting. Because it is the most awkward position you are placed in. And this, I'm glad we haven't seen it as much in this book. There's been some application of it. The willingness of those two fighting friends to try to force you into one of their camps and to take mm-hmm. a side sucks. Well, Harry was immediately on Ron's side, so there wasn't that. He, he was up until a key moment in the story, in which I loved all the confrontation moments in the last chapter, of when Hagrid calls him on his shit. <laughs> when Harry has Richly that realization. Yes. Oh, I'm a shit? Oh, oh, maybe I should stop doing that. this. <laughs> oh, great. Thanks, Harry. Real, real mm-hmm. insight into your... Again. I, f- I feel like that that would prevent so many things in this book if if Hagrid just every so often pops up and goes, "Hey Harry, you're a little <laughs> shit," and like walks Instead away. Instead of you're it's a like, wizard, no, Harry, you're not a you're wizard. A little shit, Harry. <laughs> you're a little shit, Harry. And Harry goes, "Oh yeah, whoops," and then like the plot resolves. Yeah, if if Hagrid could just serve as that kind of slave during the Roman triumph that's just constantly holding the crown behind Harry, whispering, remember thou art mortal, or this before all glory is fleeting, would be uh-huh. great. I think, it's one of the, I think it's one of the few dividing factors between Harry and Draco is that Draco doesn't have that moment of realization even when confronted with his shit. Whereas Harry, to his credit, is at least willing to mend his ways when he's, you know, it's put immediately mm-hmm. before him. So those are house points. <laughs> mm-hmm. We now go on to your favorite aspect of this podcast that is we it, do. Is it possible that questions. there are no questions that anyone has about this chapter? Well, we already foreshadowed at least one That's question, true. which is, how much money does Harry Potter actually have? Yeah. yeah. We need a number. So, I mean, I think that Harry doesn't have a real clear sense of it, quite honestly, but um, I would put him in maybe uh, like upper middle class but he would have to continue 
Like he would always have to work. So I think that the kind of idea was that he has enough money that he can very comfortably get through school, certainly. Um, but it's mm-hmm. a little unclear. It's a little unclear beyond that. Well, sticking to sticking to tr- strictly fluffy duffy Victorian terms, unless we find out that Harry has some estate somewhere in Scotland or in the country that we haven't heard about previously, I think he only could be upper middle fair, class. Fair. So even in he is not a even in American terms, upper middle class. Yes, it, it fits. <laughs> It, there's, I mean, we got to see what looked like a, a Scrooge McDuck room full of gold coins, but in fairness, that was the perspective of Harry, who probably had never even seen gold, period, much less had money that he could call his. So, as far as we know, this was a cardboard box in the corner that he just overly gushed about. Yeah, I mean, like $100 was a lot of money when I was 13, so... Yeah. Yeah. And also, like, no concept as to anything, because... My presumption is even now, most people don't look at coins as sort of money. Mm -hmm. I mean, mostly as a burden Mm -hmm. to deal with um, and dispose of as soon as possible. But so so as as an 11-year-old, like whatever it was, was just like, I have no concept. It's tons. And I think Ron was just like (laughs) beside himself. Though poor Ron doesn't have two coins to rub together. So that fits there And you know, to be, to be fair, uh, Harry did stop taking math at 11 years old. So his budgeting, (laughs) his financial sense, a little questionable. Yeah. Speaking of. Yeah. Let's go on to that point. What do you think home ec would be like at Hogwarts? (laughs) Step one, get a house elf. (laughs) Um, I don't know. Molly Weasley seems and to be really good at it, which is not to denigrate anything she yeah. does. Like, she does some really cool shit in the world. But I don't feel like any of that was ever taught at school. Or, I yeah. mean, you know, it never I, seems to happen at Hogwarts. I imagine something, some weird combination of um, magic-based cooking, some some trials and tribulations similar to the Sorcerer's Apprentice, <laughs> and um, some some old... Uh, maybe already dead professor coming in and droning on about uh, how money is kept in uh, is it Goblin? No. Gringotts? Gring- right. uh, yeah, in Gringotts. And, and how like how that all, you know, the actual procedure of, of getting into your Gringotts bank. Mm-hmm. I feel like almost it is the most effective explanation for the whole magic stasis that you see so many fantasy worlds function in, is that this one, they receive no education that allows them to be anything else other than wizards and practice magic. Mm-hmm. Like, no one's going to invent a cell phone in this world. They've never studied anything about basic engineering to be able to do that. No one's going to invent an internal combustion engine. Chemistry isn't on the curriculum. So... and. Why would you when you have carriages that move by themselves? Yes, when you can just turn a mouse into anything. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, 90% of my questions are about you explaining to me how the Grimm and Crookshanks are hanging out and what that scene means. And Sarah, could you just tell me that you're going to refuse to actively answer any questions with respect to that yeah, topic? Yeah, there's not a lot of information I can give on that without spoilers, Spencer. I have so many questions <laughs> about that. Uh, so, uh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, I'm sorry. No, I'll just keep, I'll keep it in. PJ, do you have any other questions? Because I, I can be content in my own discontentment with respect to that. Um, yeah, I, I think we can leave it at, at that for, for this chapter. I mean, there on there isn't that much. I think the only other question that I would have is, like, who actually attends the Quidditch matches? Is it the entire Everyone. school? Because that seems like, even if it's the entire school, like, the how it's described feels like a packed stadium. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There aren't enough children at hogwarts for there to really be a packed stadium and i can't imagine so many people caring well and that this is interesting because there is um i think that this is another one of those moments where the movies actually do a pretty good job with like what the quidditch pitch looks like and how it's set up Mm -hmm. and so the stands if i'm remembering correctly like there is the stands are all elevated at like essentially the level of play um, but there mm-hmm. are four different stands that are kind of smaller up on, or I'm sorry, all of the stands, I think, are four stands up on, like, smaller pavilions or platforms so that each house has their own, okay. like, smaller space. So at least in the movies, the stands do look packed, but they're also, but they're yeah, they're kind of small. self-contained. Gotcha. Um, and I just, 
it also very much amuses me how I guess my image of the people that are actually reading this are not very into sports but how very sport like <laughs> Quidditch is and how into it basically every reader of Harry Potter seems actually to get. is yeah I don't um I played varsity tennis in high school and um we had many many days where everyone on the team had their their Harry Potter books with them that we were reading in in between matches and um my doubles partner and I had to play other tournaments during the the summer which is when the release dates for the book were and so we would go to the the midnight release and then have to be like playing our seven o'clock tournament the next day and just like willing matches to be over so that we could get some downtime and read the book. Did you ever shout Leviosa after an ace? <laughs> I didn't, but now I really wish I had. <laughs> you know, you're thinking about it, one thing this chapter reveals is actually just how small the wizarding world mm-hmm. is, because we have a number of Slytherins finally named for the entire school. Yes. Of where I think it says there's like 200 people wearing green mm-hmm. on that side mm-hmm. of the stadium. And that's for, what, is it seven years of classes? Seven years of classes. They're all at school? Mm-hmm. And this is the entirety, this is like seemingly the only major school or the only school in all of Britain. Yes, that's correct. And so, so about 30 people per mm-hmm. class. For a year, makes, for one of four houses. It's not, Yeah, they're not equal in size. I think you've told me before, Sarah, that uh, Hufflepuff is massive by comparison to everybody else. That's just their size, not <laughs> the like number. the number. A, a, a. <laughs> uh, but it again gives us an idea, the Wisting world is small. Mm-hmm. Which explains a fair a fair bit about some things that otherwise wouldn't make sense is that there's just not that many people in the Wisting world. If this is all of their children in a nation of you know tens of millions yeah. of people, yeah, and I think it was less than half a percent. I was the calculation of like the number mm. of wizards per. And I will say that at the beginning of the next book, we get not only <clears throat> excuse me not only kind of an indication of how popular Quidditch is just in the Wizarding world writ large. Um, but to your point, Spencer, about the size of the Wizarding World, we also get um, a little bit more of an idea of the international component of um, how many wizards they are, there are and how they interact with each other. We get to meet more people from other countries. I thought we—I I thought those books were just built around the British concept of splendid isolation. <laughs> just wait. Okay, looking forward to that. Well, unless we have anything more, should we wrap it up here and move on to the I next? I think so. So that our next good. chapter is called Professor Trelawney's Prediction. And has a very creepy rodent and a three-fingered mm. hand. That, that is Ratso the Rat from the, Mupp- <laughs> the Muppets. That is what that is, being held by one of the Simpsons characters, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's as good a place as any to leave it. <laughs> Have to help. Uh, been fun, y'all. Looking forward to the next chapter. Bye, guys.